White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 428. Hello and welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all our great supporters, via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for this series of review episodes by my great friend and co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. It's great to be back aboard. Uh, Yeah, we'll see if it's still as great by the end of this one. (laughs) Well, we we missed a month, but fortunately, Eon seems to be doing everything they can to not let us us, uh, run out of time. They stretch things out a little bit, so I think, right? So we've got the time to... To finish yeah. the, the twenty-four movies now, one a month. But we yeah, have, we, what's this one? Num- this is number what? Number twenty. So yeah, we got another four to do after that. So I think we should just sneak in under the wire before the release of Bond twenty-five. All right. Which is what's it called again? Tomorrow. No. <laughs> it's it's got one of those Pierce Brosnan titles. No time to die, right? Yeah. I ain't got time to die. Yeah. I swear you'd think the new Bond was Jesse Ventura. <laughs> Sorry, Blofeld. I ain't got time to die. Oh man! But uh, yeah, I, I would have thought they'd bring Pierce Brosnan back with that title. But it is—it is unusual. It's unexpected. We could only wish. We could only oh, wish. Oh, I could wish. No kidding. So yeah, I had a few health issues, and we were just not really able to do one in September. But now it's October, and we're back on schedule as best we can be with the twentieth Bond movie, Die Another Day. Now this movie has the reputation in certain circles for uh, not being one of, shall we say, the better of the 24. Your freedom came at too high a price. The mission was compromised. The same person who set me up then has just set me up again. So I'm going after him. Got your attention. Tell me what you know of James Bond. He'll light the fuse on any explosive situation. Tell me the diamonds. Don't blow it all at once. What happened to you? Bond. And be a danger to himself and others. I'm going to let him mix things up a little. My friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Wow, now there's a mouthful. Who sent you? Your mama. Glad you can make it, Mr. Bond. I see you don't chase dreams, you live them. One of the virtues of never sleeping. I have to live my dreams. Time to draw the line. Well, it seems you've become useful again. Maybe it's time you let me get on with my job. So, this is where they keep the old relics, then, eh? Twist so, voila! You know, you're cleverer than you look. Better than looking cleverer than you are. James, be careful. A nice palace can be such a treacherous place. 
I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. Must you touch everything? Would you like to show me more? Kill him. Now! 1,000 meters in closing. Put you back into it, eh? Let's get down to business. Looks like we're going down together. Not yet! But there's a couple of factors that mitigate that for me as we will discuss as we go forward. Um, so before we go into our usual uh, series of things we talk about, is, do you agree with that or do you have a different view on how it's regarded? Well, let's put it this way. It's not number 24 on my list. Ah, see, there you go. <laughs> um, it is down the bottom. It's number 21 on my list. Mm. So it's, it's close to the bottom. But uh, you're right. I mean, when I looked at the, uh, the Sunday Times listing, um, this was number 24 on the Sunday Times listing. Wow. Um, and I know a lot of people um, have a very poor opinion of it. I know, uh, you know, some people won't even rewatch it. Um, I, we'll get into it. I, I mean, we've, I've always said as we've been going through these Brosnan ones that I think there was three and a half good movies there. So this is the half. Yeah, um, that's so, fair. Yeah. I'll say this. From the various people I've talked to, listened to, and read, the sense I get, and correct me if I'm completely off base here, but this is the impression I get, is that British fans don't like this one, but like Spectre. And American fans, while they don't love this one, like it, they, they, they have more bad to say about Spectre. Now, I may be conflating a couple of different things there, but that's the impression I get. Is that weird, or is what is that? I think Spectre got much more savagely reviewed in the U.S., from the critics and stuff than it did in the UK. Yeah. Um, I know a lot. I know, I know some American fans who love Spectre and I know a lot who don't. And okay. also I know some British fans who uh, detest it. So I don't know. Um, okay. Spoiler alert. Spectre is number 24 on my list. Um, <laughs> wow. So, um, wow. yeah, I have a lot of issues with that movie, which yeah. we'll get to in four oh, months time. Oh, we're gonna. That's right. Yeah. I'll, so, um, I'll say this. You and I both have Spectre ranked below Die Another Day. Yep. So, <laughs> so where's Die Another? So where's Die Another Day on yours? Or do do I have to guess? Uh, no, we we can do that now. I have Die Another Day number eighteen. Okay. okay. So there's six below it, and we've Fair already enough. we've already talked about uh, we've already talked about half of them. <laughs> <laughs> Three, three of the ones below it were in the 1980s, and we've already talked about them. Okay. And three yeah, we've, of, talked about, we've talked about the number 22 on my list. We've not talked about the 23 and 24 yet. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah we, we, t- we knocked out 23 and 24 before Roger was done. Bless his heart. <laughs> 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 all right. So, all right. So, where do we go first? Do, we have, uh, do you have some uh, stuff? Yeah. So, you have the. Stuff? Yeah. So, we, I mean, we normally talk about, you know, um, a little bit of the backstory. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's not a lot of backstory behind this one, uh, other than the fact it was uh, really pushed back to make it a anniversary movie. I think originally it was scheduled for a 19, uh, 2001 release. That would make but they sense. Pushed, but they pushed it to 2002 to coincide with the 40th anniversary of the Bond movie franchise and the mm-hmm. 50th anniversary of uh, the writing of Casino Royale. Not the publication, but the writing of Casino Royale. So... Um, um, and, um, you know, it, it, it was very deliberately sort of made as a 40th anniversary movie. Um, 
and it's crammed full of references. Some are nice and subtle, uh, but way, way too many are just slapping you in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's meant to be a reference. Uh, there's meant to be a reference to each of the preceding nineteen movies in this one. Wow. Um, I'm going to point some out as we go through, but I don't have all 19. Um, there is lists online if you really want to suffer and go and look at it. Um, <laughs> some of them, are, some of them, are a bit contrived. Um, the interesting thing here is the um, among the original working titles I understand were things like Cold Fusion, uh, A Black Sun, um, and Beyond the Ice. And I'm guessing that Beyond the Ice um, actually was one that stayed attached to it for a long time because a lot of the marketing was around that ice. Mm-hmm. Um, theme, you know, the uh, the the um, poster one shots of the main characters was done against an ice background, and they sort of had the ice, you know, the the, uh, the gun in the ice and stuff. So there, there was that theme for all the marketing was around ice. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and yes, it does play, you know, a fairly major part in the movie, but it's not the the only thing in the movie. So I'm I'm guessing that uh, the ice and the ice theme was was something that stuck around on the marketing side for a long time. Um, before the, the title switched to Die Another Day. So, um, well, the, the diamonds may figure in that too, right? Because ice. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, we had a slight budget increase for this one. Not a huge one, but it, the budget for this one went from $130 million to $142 million. Mm-hmm. Um, And it grossed uh, $432 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So um, from a financial point of view, it was a really successful Bond movie, even sure. if it wasn't from a critical or um, fan view viewpoint so Mm -hmm. yeah another thing we usually talk about is how it aligns to the ian fleming stories um obviously there's no ian fleming story called die another day but really this is just another retread of moonraker um so perhaps this one is the gets closer to the plots novel this time around than with any of the others including the moonraker novel this is actually probably pretty close to the at least the the basic themes and plot lines of, of the moonraker novel um and because uh, our friend Raymond Benson also did a novelization of this movie. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, but he had apparently a lot less time to work on this one than any of the others. So there's not as much expansion on the backstory right. um, as in the other novelizations. And I, I don't know if I've said since we had a chance to say this since, uh, since I did it, since we haven't done the show in a couple of months, but I, maybe I said this in the last one. I did go and get the audio book of Tomorrow Never Dies and I on your recommendation of it as a book, and I got the audiobook of it. It's on Audible, and it's really good. It's not very expensive on Audible, and it is really well done. I yeah, yes, it is. I think that's the best of the of the three he did. Yeah, so. yeah, lots yeah. of good stuff in there that you would be on the movie to enjoy. So yeah, yeah. But I, I recommend them all. They they all add stuff to the to the movies. Um, mm-hmm. I think this just this one's a bit a little bit closer to the, but it does make sense of some of the absurdities in the plots, or, or at least it has a reasonable attempt at trying to explain them. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, anything else from you want to talk about before we dive in? No, I mean I think that uh, it makes sense. I'm glad you said that about they pushed it back a year because I've always wondered why the. You know, even even through the Brosnan movies, they were st- even after that five year gap um, from or six year gap from eighty nine to ninety five. But for Goldeneye, they were still doing them every two years. Remember, they they originally did them every year, and they changed every two years with You Only Live Twice in nineteen sixty seven. And un- except for years they didn't do one at all, they they went every other year all the way up until this. 
And so that kind of answers the question is that because they started out every year, there was one in 1962, but then starting in 65 and 67, it was only an odd numbered years. So this movie gets them back to an even numbered year for the 40th anniversary. So that's interesting to me. And then, um, after that, you know, the numbering, the years just gets all bizarre because Daniel Craig does them whenever he feels like. So there's just whole big, <laughs> there's no rhyme <laughs> yeah. or reason. After this, there's no rhyme or reason to it anymore. All semblance of, you know, reasons why it's taken X number of years goes out the window, except for that they had to have one in 2012 to do again the anniversary with uh, Skyfall. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, from this point on, there is no semblance of any regular rhythm or production schedule. What do you um, what do you what do you think about Pierce Brosnan in this one in the sense that when he did when he did Goldeneye he was still youngish he was still young enough but they they'd missed you know several years of when he could have done it and so if, I, to me when you look at him in these four movies you can see him aging in each one not bad but you can just is something about his hair his face he gets just a little bit older obviously because he's getting a little bit older in each one. And when I look at this one, I can say he could have done a couple more easily. But, yeah. I can, but I can also say I can see where they now say you've been around a while. It's time for somebody new. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think he could have done. Well, I actually think he's probably aged most gracefully of any of the, mm-hmm. the Bonds. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff he's done since Bond, um, you know, he still looks the he still looks cool. He, can, he could play an older Bond. Even, you know, even today with the sort of the, the gray beard and stuff, he's still... I don't know. He still has it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, he he could have played a, a you know a Bond heading into retirement and and done a post retirement story, and uh, which is what I think they're doing with Bond 25. Um, so yeah, I think he could he could have easily done done more. Um, yeah. So you know he's only six. I'm just looking. He's 66 now. So um, you know he wasn't that old back. Well, he was. Then, so- I don't think. He was so good in November Man and in The Foreigner, among other things. That he, oh, well, among many other things, Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, that's a Bond movie if ever there was one. Sure. Um, the, yeah, there are so many other, uh, other things he's done since mm-hmm. Bond. Um, so yeah. yeah, he could have stuck around and done another, another couple. Still um, my favorite Bond. Yeah, I don't. The problems with these movies, I don't. I, I, I don't think was ever Bond. I just think he was very. I think he was poorly served by the declining quality of the actual movies he was in. I, but uh, I don't think. He, Right. And and, and he was him. obviously getting a little uncomfortable with the delivery of some of the ridiculous dialogue, which we'll get into mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> at, at various points. But uh, yeah, I, as, as an actor and as a Bond actor, I think, and, and of course the story is that after this one, he he was one of the ones pushing to do a reboot and wanted to do Casino Royale. Um. Um, but, uh, oh, he would have been so good in a Casino Royale <laughs> in like, if they had done it in 93 yeah, yeah, if they'd have done a soft reboot when he started. Yeah, so, man, that yeah. would have been good. He was still been younger, big hair, you know, not early 90s. Man, that would have been great. Um, okay, so let's dive into the movie. Um, so we start with Piers' gun barrel. A couple of things here. We get uh, mm-hmm. the bongos on the music on the yeah, soundtrack, that was which sounds a bit weird. So, yeah, um, very, very interesting. I, 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 I continue to maintain to you that when I actually pay attention to the gun barrel music in all of these movies, it's never the way I remembered in my head. Never. Nope. nope There's never not is. a single one of them that sounds the way it sounds in my head. So weird. I yeah. Understand. I th- though I think we didn't we say that I think 
Tomorrow Never Dies was probably the closest with the first yeah. David Arnold one, I think. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was. There was one that we said, oh, that was that was pretty close, but it yeah, still wasn't it, 100%. Yeah, I think it was that one. Yeah. Um, the other thing we get here is the uh, the CGI bullet coming out of the audience um, <laughs> on this one, which makes no sense. Why would the bullet a bullet fly? Because the whole idea is you're looking down the gun barrel as it shoots, um, but Bond's shooting at you and it comes back up the gun. But uh, yeah, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And unfortunately, probably is a good indication of what we're going to get for the rest of the movie. So, <laughs> um, um, so we open with a pre-credit sequence of um, the three agents search surfing in. Um, I, I, I know some some folks. Um, find the whole idea of Bond and that surfing in towards a mission ridiculous. And they were like, as soon as I saw the pictures of that, I knew this movie was going to be no good. Um, I, I don't know. I thought it was a good practical effect. I actually sort of liked the idea of, of infiltrating, you know, doing a stealth infiltration by coming in on uh, on surfboards. I thought that was pretty cool myself. That, so. that was fine, yeah. It, it kind of took me back to the opening of, say, uh, the living daylights or something where the, you know, the dudes in black are coming up on their target and stuff. I didn't have a problem. With yeah. It. Yeah. And they didn't play a stupid beach boys. I mean, if that had been a Roger Moore one, they'd have played a beach boys track. Oh, exactly. so, I was just going to say the same people that can excuse stuff in the Roger Moore movies are going to attack that. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> the, the, the double, triple, quadruple standard of our, of all of we fans over these movies is just ridiculous. I'm as guilty yeah, as anybody. I, Oh, we all are. Yeah, we pick we pick on stuff which, if you examine it too too closely, doesn't um, hold up with other things that you let go. So yeah. Well, we love right. stuff in the '60s movies that if they did it in the movies now, we would be screaming our heads off, and that's because yeah. it was then. Yeah. So sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, here one of the things is I think ruins uh, a little bit this opening sequence is is the bad back projection. Uh, we get some close up shots of Brosnan, which are clearly done in the studio with bad back projection, and unfortunately they're cut and edited right next to some really nice on location close up shots. So it's like they were obviously pick up shots, and, and they just don't fit. So. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. It, it, they're always lighter, you know. They're always yeah. grainier and lighter, and I, I just it seems like they would notice that and they could just fix it somehow. I don't understand it. Or just not put that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like the idea of the equipment being in the surfboards and then, then doing the GPS deflection of the helicopter, which was, uh, you know, did they learn how to do that from the stuff in Tomorrow Never Dies? Um, mm-hmm. I like to sort of think. Um, and then we get Bond switching place with the, uh, the with the diamond smuggler who looks conveniently like him. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and I always assume that the other two agents took over from the chopper crew. Um doesn't really say what happened to them, but I assume that they sort of became the pilot and crewman for the for the helicopter. You know, when you said the three guys, I'm like, wait a minute, there were three because yeah, they kind of disappear. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It's one of those things that they they just carry on with it, and you don't even you have to stop and think. Wait a minute. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. Where did those two guys go? So I just assume they sort of took over from the helicopter crew. So yeah. Um, and then. And then we get uh, the intro of Colonel Tan Sun Moon, uh, which I thought was a very heavy-handed way of introducing the whole Colonel Sun thing into the movie mythos. <laughs> um, but I, 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 what I do like um, the way it sets him up as the as the sort of the bad guy is the uh, the kickboxing um, onto the punching bag, and then you find out his anger management therapist <laughs> is inside the, the the punching bag. I I thought that was a nice character establishment touch. Yeah, and no. that really. That, you know that really right from the go get go. You know this. He's not only is he the bad guy, but he's completely immoral. Um, so I thought that was and out of control, right? I mean, he should yeah, be able yeah, to control yeah. that. It's a but it's a it's a it's a good Bond villain trait. 
to beat up somebody that's trying to help you like that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. works. So I like that. Yeah. Look, um, I, I, I say right now, I have no problem with all the Korea stuff in this movie. I, I love every bit of the stuff oh, in North Korea. Yeah. No, I have no problem with it. I, I just, I, mean, I think they could have done it and not not done the Colonel Sun. Yeah. General, uh, the, even, General Sun, Colonel Moon thing. Um, yeah, I didn't even but, notice that. But yeah, I get I get what you're saying now that you pointed out. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I have no problem with the uh, with the career stuff, and we'll get back to that. Um, and we get that we get the whole uh, car collection thing, which is again is a fun character building thing. You know, yep. he likes his fast cars and his westerns cars. It's a little on the nose, particularly with with towards the end of the movie. Uh, um, and as a car guy, it's like if he really loved all those awesome cars that much, he wouldn't have them in the muddy field on a military base. He'd have them even if he had them on a the military base. They'd be in a in a climate controlled hangars somewhere. <laughs> They wouldn't be just ranked up in the mud, but that's just me being a car guy. Yeah. <coughs> um, and then we, we also got the intro to Zhao, um, which, by the way, this is another one, I think, where they set something up and didn't use it because his name, Tan Ling Zhao, actually means the man who never smiles. Oh. Yet he smiled pretty frequently throughout the movie. <laughs> they never played up on the naming. I mean, you didn't have to know yeah. what the name meant, but I think they could have made that a character trait. Um, you know, it, they they could have done a you know a Vargas thing. Vargas does not drink, but you know they could have done a you know. <laughs> it does not smile. It sound sounds, never smiles. You know, that, does that, not smile. Yeah, that sounds like the title of a Wallander episode or book. By the way, the man who does not smile. Yeah, by Henning Mankell. <laughs> any, uh-huh. if, if, if any of you out there are Wallander fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That it's just a, uh-huh. it's just a classic. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the good. I, I actually like the fact that uh, it was probably the first use of cell phones in a in a practical way. You know, with the um, mm-hmm. the video and the data feed and stuff like that. That was actually close to what we were starting to experience ourselves with cell phones at that point. It was sort of moving from the science fictiony stuff that we'd had in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies to more towards the sort of slightly more realistic what we we were starting the sort of capabilities we were starting to see with our own cell phones so that was interesting it's 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 it's, it's cool because it's it's another in the long line of things that bond movies have done where they'll do something that's futuristic and when they film it it doesn't exist yet and then when it comes out it's kind of in real life starting to come out or it will and then when we go back and watch it later it seems primitive even though it should be futuristic it's so funny how time works it, that way you know yeah yeah I, I mean it's just not a bond thing but i was watching something the other day and this guy the guy was like just give me a minute i'm uploading a gigabyte yeah <laughs> it's like oh that was meant to sound really futuristic you know and it's like yeah okay yeah. um all right so uh and then we 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 he brings in the military hovercraft, which I've always thought is a great idea. Oh, yeah. Um, I love this. Um, I think it works very well. Um, I did a bit of research, actually, as to, you know, why, why is that not like a thing, mm-hmm. you know, that the army use um, hovercraft? And I really couldn't come up with a good reason. Probably somebody can tell us. But I, I know the, uh, the U.S. Army use them for landing craft. Um, and apparently the North Koreans actually have large combat hovercraft. I wonder where they got that idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just wondered why it's never become a, um, you know, a regular type of army. I don't know. Maybe they're too vulnerable um, with the skirts and stuff. But or interesting. Hard, to, hard but, to maneuver precisely, maybe. I don't know. So they, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, obviously there's, there are reasons for them not to work. But just conceptually, it seems to be such a great idea. Mm-hmm. So, well, so I love, and, I love and the, the question hovercraft. I have, too, is do, would it really not set off the mines? Right. 
I don't know. I, I suspect the the air pressure would still do it. I don't know though. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get the fact that Bond's identified and betrayed. Um, yeah. And then I, I I like the thing that Colonel Moon is still basically afraid of his father when it's like Daddy's coming and it's like oh shit I've got to hide my toys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I like the fact that he's it shows that you know he may be a badass and uh, an immoral bad guy and a diamond trader and a murderer, but he's still scared of his dad. I thought that was quite interesting. That was. Uh, yeah. And, and what I like is when, uh, so they line up Bond and they're going to, um, you know, put him in front of a firing squad. Again, why did they wait to take the time to stand him and put him in front of a firing squad? Anyway, um, but while they're doing it, he's, you can see him sizing up his escape routes and action plans while he's actually stood in front of the, the firing squad. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, so then he sets off the explosives in the diamonds case and we get Zhao's injuries with the, the embedded diamonds. Again, I didn't think, other than a couple of offhand remarks later, I don't think they really played with that too much either. No, just as a way to identify him. Oh, he's the guy with the diamonds in his face, to which I think, you know, go to Walgreens, get a pair of tweezers and you're good, you know? what's? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he went to this high-priced high, high, high uh, clinic where they can basically completely change your exp- uh, appearance, but they couldn't get a pair of tweezers to pick those out. <laughs> I just I don't, don't understand. that. I, it, I, it's like that's one of those ideas that when you're sitting around like brainstorming the plot for the next Bond movie, somebody says, I know there's an explosion in the diamond tray and the diamonds all get lodged in his face and he goes the rest of the movie, you know, weeks and weeks or whatever time with diamonds in his face. That would be awesome. And there's supposed to be somebody else in the room that says, yeah, it's neat, except it wouldn't work because why would he still have them in his face weeks later? And then you Particularly- go... Oh yeah, yeah. Particularly then, yeah. if he's going going to a rejuvenation clinic. I mean, exactly. If he, yeah, if he'd been somewhere where he could didn't have the time, or he was in cap, which he was, he was in captivity for a while. That, that's fine. But yeah, Ima- yeah. imagine that Zhao gets finished with all that, and he walks out of there as a white guy, but he's still got the diamonds, got diamonds in, his in his face. face. Yeah, he's like, yeah. no one will know who I am, and you're like, dude. <laughs> I suppose the answer. I suppose the answer is the treatment got interrupted before they addressed that. But I thought they would have anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's funny. That would be one of the first things they did. Not I'm one of thinking last. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we get Bond. Uh, the hovercraft chase, which is, is really cool. Um, I thought yeah. that was really well stage managed, choreographed. Uh, I've heard complaints that this is uh, too loud, too many explosions, too bangy. Um, oh come on! But I think it's really great. It's, you know, it's the opening. It's a pre-title sequence for a Bond movie. What do you expect? With it, yeah, yeah. So, huh. uh, um, it ends up with Bond being captured, and now we get to the fun opening titles. Um, so, what's your thought about these opening titles? The fact that the story continues through the opening titles, That's, showing Bond's time in captivity. That part is cool. I, I have to hit mute. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the song. I was just asking okay. about the, the title sequence. We'll come to the song. In I, was gonna I, say, I, I, I use the word song in inverted, in air quotes. Uh, song, quote, unquote. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's no, I, you're right. I, I noticed that the first time I saw the movie, I was very conscious of, oh, this isn't just like a stylized, you know, abstract general idea of the movie. This is like an actual scene of what happens next in the story, just done as the title sequence. So I, I, I don't know that I'd want every Bond movie to do that, but I thought it was perfectly fine for at least one Bond movie to try that. I thought it was a very interesting and effective way of doing that to cover cover that fourteen month time jump yes. that they had within the plot line, um, and actually also set up you know the things about the venom in his system. Uh, mm. uh, and yeah, I thought I thought it was a very very effective way of doing that. Um, 
I'm not sure adding the flaming and ice sculpture naked girls on it. I thought that undermined it a little bit. How, you know, you got the tor- yeah. torture sequence, and then you got the titillation stuff on top. Yeah. I didn't really sort of go for that, but the, I think the whole idea was a really cool idea. I could see what they were going for and, and do it. So, um, yeah. Um, unfortunately, the whole thing um, again um, undermined by um, the the wailing banshee and the stupid lyrics. Um, I, I, it's the. I think it's probably the worst song. Yeah, I think it is. But I will actually say, watching it this time, there were areas. If you sort of ignored the lyrics, I, I, I actually thought there was some some areas where the actual music, the score, or the of the of the song actually fit the visuals pretty well. Yeah, it just was the to me. This is the low point of the movie, even over anything in the last act. This music is just terrible. Yeah, I actually also. Th- I mean, it's a score by David Arnold. I like David Arnold stuff, but I think probably mm-hmm. it's his weakest weakest score. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I you know it didn't. It didn't jump out at me enough for me to even really notice it, which probably says a lot too. Right. I yeah. was I was I was probably putting so much attention this this last time that I watched it. I've watched it several times. I was putting so much attention to it this time to trying to decide if it's as bad as some people say or if it's as less bad that I think it is that I didn't really even notice the score so much. So, yeah. Right. So the other thing I'm going to sort of mention it now, I, I, I got into this discussion on Twitter a few days ago or a week or so ago um, about the shift in the influence of the directors in the Bond franchise. I mean, if you look at the Craig stuff, um, you know, um, Casino Royale who's done by um, Hamilton. somebody who's Hamilton, who knows the Bond franchise and knows how to do Bond. But if you look at the others, they're done by name directors. Yeah. I think this one with Lee Tamahori directing. I think this is the first. One, I think this is the first one that set that trend, where basically it was di- the director was sort of the director's style, and that what the director wanted from a visual um, point of view was held more mm-hmm. sway mm-hmm. than the standard Bond producer-driven tropes and feel and stuff. I think this is the this is the first movie where the director what the director wanted to do became more important than the fact it was a Bond movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good, I think that's a very good point. And unfortunately I think it started us down a, down a bad path because I think the only one that's really, you know, Casino Royale, everybody, you know, puts up there with majesties uh, and stuff because it was made by somebody who understands Bond and that it was Bond that's more important rather than the fact that it's a Sam Mendes film or a whoever film. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the new one. But uh, I, unfortunately, I think this, and there are points in the movie where things happened because Lee Tamahori wanted them to. Um, so um, I'll we'll point a couple of those out. But uh, yeah, this is including some some of the scenes and just the way some of the stuff was done. Um, so I, I'm going to get off my soapbox on. But I think <laughs> that's one of the reasons that this movie does not hold up is it's the first one where it becomes a, a director's movie rather than a Bond movie. And I have, by the way, pointed out that in the production stills from the new one, uh, Carrie Fukunawa looks more like James Bond than Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. Yep. <laughs> so. All right. Um, so we get Bond's release. Um, I like the whole thing where Bond is, uh, you know, marched across the uh, across the bridge, and he thinks he's just going to get it shot, and it turns out he's actually being on a prisoner exchange. exchange yeah. I, like, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. um, the whole, you know, that he's been abandoned and denied um, thing. So that. I think again that works well. Um, I like I like I think, that we get some kind of you can't do the Cold War anymore, but North Korea is like the one place that you can still kind of do Cold War era 
stuff, right. and it's realistic. You couldn't yeah, even I do mean, that in Cuba anymore, but you could do it there, you know? Yeah, I mean, the whole spy exchange thing used to be, you know, that's, you know, the spy exchange at Checkpoint Charlie and right. stuff used to be such a standard part of uh, spy literature. Um, so it's great to be able to. And I, I also like the fact that, you know, we have, um, but, you know, Bond looking bedraggled and the long hair and the beard and mm-hmm. stuff, but they also explain how he still looks fit because he kept himself fit and he was doing the calisthenics and the exercises and stuff when he was, you know, he was doing that to sort of get himself through the torture and stuff. So it's, you know, it sort of all fit together. I thought it was really well done. Yes. Yeah. And then we get him on the naval ship, um, which uh, I, again, I quite like the, the uh, sort of background dialogue um, about them identifying Bond about the fact that because the liver's not too, you know, the liver's shot, it must be Bond. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So, uh, and I like that they drag out the whole thing about, you don't know why M is being suspicious of him. There's this negativity in the air, you know, when he's brought yeah. back into the British custody. You don't, you don't at first, I mean, I guess having seen it, you know, several times now, I can get it. But when I was watching this movie for the first time, I kept thinking, why aren't they, they got him back, you know, shouldn't they be happy? This is James Bond. They've got him back from the bad guys. They should be happy. And instead, they're treating him like, like a like a villain somehow, or like he's done something wrong, and you slowly realize it's that they think he's done something wrong. They think that he broke under pressure and started spilling information, and it and he didn't. It was all part of the plan. Yeah, no, I like that. I like I like the way they play it um, with that. Um, I, I actually also like you know when uh, M comes in and she talks about the fact that he's being compromised, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, stuff and she goes through all that speech and then when he actually turns around and says well that's what the americans think what do you think she actually walks around the security glass and puts herself basically in harm's way by standing right in front of him um to show sort of that implicit trust and even though she's still bawling him out and saying his double o status has been rescinded she's sort of showing that she still trusts him because she's not got the security glass between them. I think that was a very, again, a nice, subtle character moment between the two of them. Is this the one with, um, let's see, he's not in the main credits here, but uh, this is the one with, um, what's his name from the from the Quentin Tarantino movies as the American official, right? Let me see. Uh, Let me dig down in. The, Michael Madsen, yeah. Yeah. Damien, yes. Fal- Damien Falco. <laughs> God, yeah. what a great name for an American official Damien Falco. That sounds like they're going to make a movie series about him with that name. <laughs> but uh, I yes. like Michael Madison because he plays the arrogant, jerkish guy very well. That's his character. He's in every freaking Tarantino movie. And so he really was very unlikable here. He's the ugly American all the way, you know? Yeah, but you can also understand from his p- perspective what it looks like. It looks to him like Bond's mm-hmm. the one that's hemorrhaging information. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I, I get that, and I, I get his approach. So so then Bond does the whole yoga technique to drop his heart rate. Um, to, that seemed an extreme way to go about getting somebody to come in there, but I guess it, it kind of worked because it got them to get the paddles out, and which right, he uses yeah. as a weapon and everything. So And, and t- turns an AED device into a, into a weapon. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty cool. Right, um, right. So uh, we get Bond. Uh, this is, you know, Bond going rogue. Is this the first Bond going rogue? Surely not. No, no. I have license to kill would be, wouldn't it? So yeah, yeah. At least yeah. Okay. So all right. 
And so again, not, we're going down. We're going down the Bond going rogue route, not, which we've not, recycled so many times since. I was going to say, not counting all the times Sean Connery sort of did, right? I mean, he he never just like opened fire on the other MI six guys and jumped out the window or anything. But but there were a couple of times that you know M told him, "Why don't you take a little vacation and maybe you should make it in like you know Jamaica or something?" And he's like, "Oh, certainly." So. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a trope. One way or another, getting him off on his own is a is always a good idea. Yeah. Um so we get he jumps over the side of the ship and swims over um the movie gives the impression this is actually in Hong Kong Harbor. Yes. Um I'll get to that in a second. So in the novelization, there is one difference. In the novelization, he's actually in, still in South Korea, which makes a lot more sense because if you think about it, they just rescued him from the North Korea and took him to South Korea. Right. Why would they ship him all the way to Hong Kong to get medical treatment? Um, so in the in the book, he's actually in South Korea on a on a navy ship in South Korea, um, and there's a whole sub thing that tells how he basically escapes from it and then stows away on a Korean merchant ship to get to Hong Kong. I was going to say, how would he get to Hong Kong though if he jumps in the water? Yep. So he has to stow away. Yeah, yeah. All right, but well. but but in the movie, um, he climbs out, um, yeah. and he has the Hong Kong skyline behind him, and it yeah. says Hong Kong Yacht Club. Yeah, completely wrong. Um, <laughs> The Hong Kong Yacht Club. So if Hong Kong is in the skyline behind you, that means you're in Kowloon. Right. The Hong Kong Yacht Club is not in Kowloon. It is on Hong Kong Island. <laughs> um, so um, Kowloon is on the mainland side, for those that don't know. It's it's the yeah. very bottom tip of the new territories. Yeah. Um, and the, um, the actual Hong Kong Yacht Club was in You Only Live Twice, um, where you see somebody on a balcony reading the newspaper with the, uh, the, the newspaper report about Bond's death before his burial mm-hmm. at sea. Mm-hmm. That balcony is the Hong Kong Yacht Club. So, oh, okay. Um, well, I've waited a month to say this, okay? As soon as okay. I saw that scene, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Alan about this, and Alan's going to love it because it is my monthly reference. <laughs> Here we go. To Noble House. Oh, yes. <laughs> in, in Noble House, and guess what? It's Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> this is not the first time Pierce Brosnan has been swimming in Hong Kong Harbor in a in a, in a show. How crazy is that? This is not the first time he's been swimming in that unswimmable body of water. <laughs> the difference is in the book and in the miniseries Noble House, Pierce Brosnan's character says, "When they, as soon as they get out of that water, he's like, we have to go straight to the doctor because we're going to die." We've been right. in the, we've been in this water. We're we've got every disease known to mankind. We have got to go to the doctor now. And there was a fire on a Chinese floating restaurant. And so, in the book, basically, you know, Pierce Brosnan's character is a you know constitution of iron. He doesn't get sick. But like everybody else in the story that has to jump in the water when the restaurant's on fire, they all get like dysentery and, you know, everything imaginable that you could get from the water. So when Bond climbs out of Hong Kong Harbor there, I'm like, oh, go straight to the doctor, James. (laughs) Whatever you didn't already have from all those women, you now have from Hong Kong Harbor. I just couldn't believe I'd forgotten that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, Pierce Brosnan is back in Hong back in the morass again. So there you go. Uh, all right. So when I was in Hong Kong, in, well, in Kowloon, I'll correct myself, when I was in Kowloon, I actually tried to figure, I know it was a studio set, but it was like, okay, if that's the Hong Kong skyline you see behind <laughs> you, where would he be climbing out the water on the Kowloon side? Um, it's actually, there's nothing there. It's just a railing. Um, but if you turn around and look, it's pretty much across the road from the Peninsula Hotel from the man with the golden gun. Oh, okay. 
Um, so him getting out of the water there and walking across to a hotel sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, interestingly, so did you catch the name of these, the fake hotel they used? No, in this one? I can't remember. So they, they didn't use the Peninsula Hotel. It mm. was the Rubion Royale. Royale. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ruby is 40th anniversary and Royale for Casino Royale. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I so never, that's pretty subtle. I like yeah, that one. That's a good one. I would never in a million years would have gotten it, which means it's good. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I can immediately see it, it's not good. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so, yeah, well uh, done. Well done. Um, so then Bond, so he he walks in. I like. I do like the fact that he walks into the hotel in his soaking pajamas. Yes. Having just got it. And without breaking stride or anything, just walks up to the desk and says, I'll have my usual suite, please. I, I love that. this scene so much. This is one of my favorite scenes in any of the movies. <laughs> I'm telling you, Alan, the first half of this movie is so good in so many ways, I don't care that there might be a decline toward the end. How many Bond movies don't drop off in some point, you know? But uh, Well, there's, there's drop-off and falling down a chasm, but know, we'll get but, to that point. Yes, yeah. but I mean, this is so good. I mean, that scene alone where he walks in, because only James Bond, like you said, he's got a beard, he's nasty, he's soaking wet, he's been in Hong Kong, in, in Hong Kong Harbor, and he just... You know, he just walks right in like he's in a three-piece suit and tie and a tuxedo or something and just walks right up. And people are all kind of horrified by him, but he's James Bond. He's unflappable. He doesn't care. And, uh-huh. no, and, I, love- and I love that, that there's a guy there that immediately knows him. He's like, oh, absolutely, Mr. Bond. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Every, yeah. And again, we're on, the, we're on the fun thing of basically him being the world's worst secret agent yes. because every, 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 every uh, hotel manager knows who he is. Yes. And, he, and he has a regular suite in the, yes. in the major hotels around the world. We, yes. Yes. Oh, Mr. Bond, we have the master spy suite ready for Sweet, you. Ready for you, yeah. <laughs> But I love it, though. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to find fault with that because half half of the Bond movies, I don't mean not half of the, like 12 of the movies, but half of most of the Bond movies is him being undercover and nobody knows who he is. But honestly, half of them is him being the celebrity spy. Yeah, and I, I and I have no problem with the yeah. celebrity spy thing as no. long as they use it. Yeah, right. That's yeah. great. I love it. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah, we get another little reference here. So he says he, he makes a reference to send up my usual tailor. I, again, I, don't, I may be projecting here, but I don't know if that was the reference to the Diamonds of Forever line about knowing a good tailor in Hong Kong. Okay, they were just picking up on that. So, right. So he ends up in his um, suite with the world's most powerful Philips Electro um, razor because it manages to get rid of fourteen <laughs> months of beard growth. Yes. Um, and then my sir turns up, peaceful mountains of desire. That's oh. awesome. Great. Um, yeah, um, and then we find the the film crew behind. I like the way that he uh, hefts the the was it the ashtray, and then he throws it at the mirror and shatters the mirror, and you f- see the little f- the film crew behind trying to do the the, ba- the blackmail tape. I'm assuming uh, that's a reference to the from Russia with Love. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, I assume that was that. Um, and then we get uh, the the hotel manager is revealed to be the Chinese Secret Service. Um, 
Yeah, and Bond that's does, great too. Bond does, Bond does a deal with the with the Chinese to go after Zhao. So beautiful. I, think, uh, I love that. I yeah. love that. Yes, all of this is so good. I love that. I, I love that. A he has the buddy there, and that B he's not a one note character. He then turns out to be a Chinese spy, but agent. And then C Bond turns the tables on him and then makes him basically sponsor his spy activities. I just that's great. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you know who that uh, character was originally meant to be? It was not meant to be the hotel manager, but who the who the Chinese agent was meant to be? Were they Chinese? Yep. Oh, was it Wei Lin? Yep. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah, it was actually written for Wei Lin, um, oh. and they did approach Michelle Yeoh, and she wanted to do it, but they couldn't figure out the scheduling. Oh, it's always something like that, man. That would so that would have just... been cool. It, it, it wouldn't have been close to 20 on my list if she'd been in it even for a minute. It would That would have given it another five or six spots up higher right there. Right. See, there's so yeah. many stories like this where you find out that we almost had Sean Connery in Skyfall. We almost had Michelle Yeoh in Die Another Day. We almost had this. We almost had that. And I'm just like, come on. I almost would rather not know, you know? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll t- I won't tell you these things. No, no, no. Tell me. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying it, it just makes me sad. But no, I do want to know. It just makes me sad. So Yeah. Um, so we then moved to uh, the south of Spain masquerading as Havana, Cuba. <laughs> it's all right. It's close enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually like the, the whole idea of the sleeper agent here. Um, that you know, He turns up at the cigar factory and um, it turns out the cigar factory owner is a... Is, uh, Raoul is a, a sleeper agent mm. um, activated by the use of the universal exports name and a particular brand of cigar. Um, I think that's a great idea. I wish they'd revisit, they'd have revisited that at some point or even used it. I, the idea of those embedded sleeper agents around and that bond can activate them. I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, so we get bond in his office. Uh, we get another reference here. Bond picks up a copy of field guide to the birds of the West Indies. I noticed that. Yeah. 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 That's the um, James Bond book, right? Right, yeah, but you don't actually see the author's name on it, but as most folks know, that's where Fleming got the name from, the name was from, from yeah. the author of The Field Guide. It, and i got to say, I've always thought it was so funny that the reason he picked that name was because he thought it was the most bland, vanilla, boring name he'd ever heard, and yet because he put that name on this character, it has become one of the most exciting names, mm-hmm. you know. And they've made you know, it's just a yeah. brand. It's just so funny that it's yeah. done a, a one eighty like that. Yeah, it's it's become basically the watchword and, and the shortcut for excitement and glamour and stuff like that, yeah. which is exactly what he was trying to get away from. It's amazing. So, it is amazing. Yeah. Um I did actually wonder if the because uh, Brosnan smokes a lot of cigars in this movie, whether that was like a bit of a nod to Roger Moore. Roger Moore, Moore uh, yeah. Um, I was so, thinking that too. Yeah, I was going to say. I guess it's. A, I guess it's a good thing Ian Fleming didn't go with like uh, Herman Lipschitz or something. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine them trying to sex that name up? What the, if, if you listen to the, one of the interviews, he does actually come up with a, a, a stupid name like something Ponsonby. I don't know. I can't remember what, exactly what it is. I'd have to go back and look it up. <laughs> but he, he gives an example of what he thought would be like the spy name, but he used James Bond instead. So. And then we get the uh, the entry, the intro of Jinx. Actually, before we get to that, I'm going to... So, because Bond goes to the bar and orders a mojito. Yes, the Cuban drink. So I, I say I'm going to boast a bit here. When I was in GoldenEye two weeks ago, that's what I was drinking in the afternoons. I had to go up to the bar and order my mojito at GoldenEye. There you go. Which was very good, but Halle Berry never came out of the, <laughs> the waves while I was drinking them. Oh, um, 
Yeah, we get the the whole Jinx entry, which obviously is I actually think is uh, pretty cringeworthy. Obviously, it's an on the nose reference to the Honey Rider Ursula Andress thing. Um, I don't, why on earth he tried to recreate that? I have no idea. It just doesn't. Well, work. they're they're recreating everything, and so they threw yeah. it in there. Yeah, I, I got to say about the mojitos. If you want to see a movie with a lot of mojito references, the 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 Miami Vice movie from about two thousand six, which I love. I think it's a great movie. The one with um, Jamie Fox and Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell as Crockett drinks mojitos from start to finish throughout that movie. So, yeah, okay, it's all over all right. that movie. That must have been a thing in the early two thousands. Guess so. Guess so. Yeah. Um, and then we, we the thing is with the whole Jinx character and her exchanges with Bond from here on in that the, the dialogue is so cringeworthy, sexist, on the nose. I mean, it's not even a double entendre. I mean, it's I don't know. It's virtually every encounter with Bond has with a female from this point of view is just the dialogue is just so terrible. Yeah. But one interesting thing is I, I read that uh, the character of Jinx was actually meant to be the traitor originally. Oh, now I can't quite, I'd have to do some hard thinking about that because just off the top of my head, I have a hard time seeing how she's in the movie enough to have affected things like that. Right, but apparently when they signed Halle, Halle Berry for the role, they switched some of her stuff to the Miranda Frost character. So, well, that well that kind of makes sense, just because Miranda Frost is in the movie more than Halle Berry is. Yeah, yeah. So. Although, um, although I like her in it, I, I think that uh, Rosamund Pike. Pike. Yeah, she, I like her in a lot of stuff. I like her in the uh, in the first uh, Reacher movie, but. In this, she's really got a particular ethereal quality to her. She is the ice princess in this movie. In a movie about ice, she really does play it cold and distant and hard. But there's something intriguing about her. I really like her a lot. I, you know, I think she's a great actress. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Halle Berry's yeah. just kind of okay in it. She's. I'll put it this way: in this movie, Halle Berry is is <laughs> better than Christmas Jones, but. She's like a poor man's Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, it's the weird thing about Halle Berry. She can be. She's a really. She can be a really fantastic actress and she do can. some really good stuff. Yes. And then you get things like Catwoman <laughs> and Storm in X Men, and they, I don't know. It's when she's lying around around the franchise stuff, she sort of goes into just phone it in mode. Yeah, that's right. It's, like, um, it's really strange. She, but she um, comes she comes across as like they were trying to bring back a Michelle Yeoh type character, and you know that's that's athletic, that can go toe to toe with Bond, that can do sneaky stuff and spy stuff, and you know can can spar verbally with him. But she just never quite has the same chemistry that Michelle Yeoh did. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's any real chemistry between Brosnan no. and Halle Berry here. Again, um, I think it's again one of the areas that doesn't really work with the Brosnan movies is, is the casting of some of the lead female characters just don't have an on-screen chemistry with Brosnan that's particularly good. So, personal opinion. I so. can't imagine who would have had good chemistry with Christmas Jones, though, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I do like here is is Bond using the obnoxious, loud South American guy to gain access to the gene therapy clinic. Oh, um, that's beautiful. That. Yes. Puts him in the wheelchair. Yeah. 
Yeah, knocks him out, puts it, steals his it. ticket, knocks him out, puts him in the wheelchair. Yeah, and acts as his, 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 his nurse or whatever carer. Yeah, I think that was really cool. When they when they kept showing that guy and making it very clear to us that he was an obnoxious boor, I kept thinking because I had been a while since I'd seen it. I kept thinking, well, why are they going to such lengths to show us this guy if nothing's going to happen to him? And I'm like, oh, something does happen to him. I forgot. <laughs> so right. yeah, that, that yeah. was very well done. Yeah. Yeah, and I like once they're on there, Bond spycraft are figuring out there's a secret entrance because he sees he sees a closed circuit TV camera pointed towards what appears to be a solid wall. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I, I sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the scene with Jinx in the doctor's office, which um, we get a nice exposition dump from the doctor here about the whole process, and it comes over as a natural part of the dialogue. I think that works. It seems to be a skill that Purvis and Wade have lost in later movies, but yeah. it works here. And then the sudden twist of her shooting the Doctor, and again, we're in that standard Bond trope. Is, is this this new character we've just encountered, are they, are, they, are they good or are they evil? She just shot somebody in cold blood. We don't know but he you know, needed shooting, good, though. That was the thing. Yeah, she did, but is she a good guy? Is she, whose side is she on? We don't right. know that yet. I, I had two reactions to that. My first reaction was, oh, my goodness. And then my second reaction was, yeah, he needed. They, I, I had to stop and go back and evaluate. And I'm like, you know, as a writer, you know, you and I both, we always are going to think, like, did they properly set something up? And I thought yeah. I immediately flashed back through the dialogue and thought, yeah, they made him scummy enough that that the average audience is going to want him dead. So yeah, it, it was yeah, not outrageous. No, it wasn't outrageous that she shot him. I didn't have a problem with him shooting him, but it was like, but again, it was just setting up that it, we don't yeah. know where she fits in. In, t- in you know, right? Yeah, and then of course all hell gets lets loose, um, and it turns out, of course, that the first treatment room that Bond walks into just happens to be the one with Zoe. <laughs> A winky dink much yeah mm. um and bond has him laid out in front of him all he needed to do was basically fire a shot and zao's dead or fire a shot and in his knee or something like that to disable him mm-hmm. um i can see you know he may have wanted him alive so he could question him as to who his mi6 contact was but he could have immobilized him and asked questions but no he has to start poking around um so tell me this alan i want to i want to i want to slow down here for just one second yep so we know the movie starts strong, and we love the beginning. Yep. Has it fallen off the cliff yet at this oh, point? Oh, no, no. You will know when it falls off the cliff. Are we, are we st- it's, it's not as good as it was at the beginning, but it's still okay, right? Yeah, it's still on a little bit of a slippery slope, and it's, it's going to get up a bit, but then it's just going to, yeah. Right, so we're going to see what happens. <laughs> we're going to pause here for just a second, because we've got to thank our patrons, thank the folks that keep our shows on the air. All the shows we do here at the White Rocket Entertainment Network are presented to you commercial-free purely because we have such great folks who keep us on the air covering all of our expenses from equipment to podcast and web hosting, URLs, and everything else. Our current patrons include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Atsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, 
with David Hegler, Robert J. Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kanji and Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, and then there's Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Kenoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. We're almost to the end because finally we have Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, as well as Chris Brent Rumble, and our occasional donors such as Surfer Chickify and our great anonymous donors. We thank you all. We appreciate it. We couldn't do these shows without you. All right. And so we've decided it hasn't dropped off the cliff quite yet. So pick us back up where we were, Alan. So Bond, we were on the clinic in Cuba. All hells got loose. Bond. first treatment room that Bond happens to walk into is Zhao's. And instead of shooting Zhao or immobilizing and asking him questions he starts poking around which of course leads to a fight bon, uh, Zhao escapes and then Jinx sort of blows up the office yeah. so Bond has to improvise his escape route so we end up with both Jinx and Bond firing after the chopper that Zhao's getting away in um, and then we get that the sort of nice thing where they get to the ramparts and Jinx just does the swan dive off the castle rampart and you get both Bond and the guards like watching her down, down cool. to go down that was um, probably her coolest moment in the movie I think yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and then we it goes back to Raoul in the, in the um, tobacco factory. Uh, and as much as I said I like the idea of Raoul being sort of the sleeper agent and the, you know mm-hmm. so forth, but suddenly this cigar manufacturer is an expert on conflict diamonds and their markings. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's got their. Everybody's got a hobby, I know. But yeah. you know, Bond um, knows everything about everything in the Roger Moore era, so you know, why not? So yeah, yeah. So why shouldn't the sleeper agents suddenly be uh, very uh, knowledgeable about uh, the key thing around uh, conflict diamonds? Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So we we move to London, MI6 headquarters. We get uh, the American guy angry about Bond's escape. Um, we meet bon- uh, M Robinson and Money Penny. And that flashes back to Bond on basically um, on the flight home, um, where he makes a quip about his shaking his martini being shaken because of all the turbulence. Yes, a couple of interesting things here: the uh, the flight attendant he flirts with is Roger Moore's daughter. Oh, get out! I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So again, I don't know if that was like a little anniversary stunt casting type thing or not. And then we get uh, the clashes. London's calling, which is I think probably the only time we've actually had external source music like that yeah that did strike me as unusual yeah. absolutely right and then we get the intro for ghost of graves completely hugo drax character here yes um, well younger seeming i guess but but yeah he's 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 what we think of as the stereotypical kind of british um snooty you know aristocratic arrogant entitled jerk that you just want to punch but but let me ask you this though yeah, so other than talking about the Houses of Parliament, um, 
Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Good. I know. Um, no, I mean, you know, it's the Hugo Drax character in terms of, the, you know, the, uh, the recent immigrant who's made a massive fortune very quickly and become yeah. a, a, you know, a bastion of the establishment and he's going to, you know, donate all this technology to the to the country and stuff. I mean, that is Hugo Drax. That's, that's right out of the novel. This is another one of those moments in this movie where I imagine the writers sitting around and one of them says, I've got a great idea. It's like with the diamonds in the face, right? One of them says, I've got a great idea. The, the, the North Korean kid becomes the British Hugo Drax guy. And... It's, again, like with the diamonds, it's one of those things that on the surface it's cool, but if you think about it at all, you're like, well, I don't know about that. That might be stretching things. And so, yeah, this movie, this is where this, this movie increasingly gets kind of, you know, with any Bond movie, you have to suspend a certain amount of disbelief. This is just one of them, and it's not the only one by any means, but th- this is a Bond movie. It's just, unfortunately, it's one of the, it's one of the Brosnan ones where you you almost can't suspend your entire disbelief because it just gets beyond the pale, you know? Yeah, the thing is, at this point, we don't know that. Yeah, that but I still, I'm you. like, well, that's true, you're right, I don't know that yet, but I'm just thinking to that character going, it's like yeah. when, they, when they reveal it later, my initial reaction, like, instantly is, oh, that's so cool, and then, like, half a second later, I'm like, oh, but is it? Yeah, know. for me, that's that's when it's well down the rabbit hole, and we'll get there. But at this yeah. this point, it, 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 we're not there with that. I He's mean, a great he, villain, though. At this point, he is. Um, and I think Toby Stevens played him really well. Yes, um, at this, certainly this early point. Um, Absolutely. Oh yeah, um, Toby Stevens just as the Toby Stevens character there is great because he's horrible, yeah. but he's great at it. Yeah, he also plays a great Bond. By the way, I don't know if you the BBC. Um, did a bunch of radio adaptations of the Fleming novels um, with him playing Bond. Nice. Uh, uh, And and actually, most of them are on YouTube. You can listen to them on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really good. Um, So I I think they should have stuck with him and the the Gustav Graves thing and not done the whole switcheroo later. Um, I I think he would have made a great Drax if they'd have done the storyline a lot straighter. Um, Yeah. Um, obviously, the parachuting in under the Union Jack parachute—that's the Spy Who Loved Me reference. Um, uh, we also get yeah. we also get uh, introduced to Miranda Frost, who apparently originally in the scripts was actually named as Gala Brand in the script, as in the Moonraker novel, the Bond girl in the Moonraker novel. So, okay. um, um, but they switched it to the Miranda Frost name, so we still haven't had the Gala Brand name used for a Bond girl yet. So interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the defensing club. Um, oh and boy. apart from the Madonna stunt casting, um, I actually really like this scene. I like, but it's Bond doing the whole needling the villain, mm-hmm. uh, the guy he suspects, you know, poking, poking the bear. Um, this is also the first time we get the use, the first use of Bond, James Bond. I love the fact that he used because when he introduces himself to Jinx, he just says, "My name, my friends call me James Bond." But yeah. when he's introducing himself to Graves, he's like, "It's Bond." James Bond. He does it to the villain. I like that. I don't know why. I do too. Um, and I got to say, this sword fight is... I, I love the sword fight, yeah. It's vicious. I mean, it looks yes. like they're trying to kill each other. It looks like the actors slash stuntmen, whoever, that end up doing it are trying to kill each other. It does not look fake at all. Yeah, no, I love I love that. I love the whole thing with it. Um, it, it it's it's very, very intense, very visceral. Um, I think it's a great fencing match. Um, 
And I say you also like the fact that it ends with the villain writing a large check to Bond after losing a sporting bet. It's yes. Goldfinger. Yes. So yeah, and I, and Toby Stevens, I think his facial expressions in this part of the movie are great too, because in it he can go from the sneer to the ingratiating smile, you know, to the oh, I was just teasing, I'm still cool, you know. He can convey quite a lot in his facial expressions in this part of the movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, so then Bond gets the mysterious envelope with the key, goes to Tower Bridge, unlocks the door, walks down to the uh, the abandoned station where he meets Anne, the abandoned station for abandoned agents. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get the line of, uh, time to let me get on with my job. And the movie descends <laughs> into absurdity. And I've got a note here that says, can I stop watching now? <laughs> <laughs> no. You must so for me, that line, time to let me get on with my job, that's where the movie finishes. That's, that's my half a good that's my half a good Brosnan movie. From here on in, it is just a complete and utter train wreck. So this is the this is the, this is where we this is where we leave Pierce Brosnan in the role. Yeah, uh, I don't know what we we leave sanity behind at this point. <laughs> so. Well, all right. Well, let's let's work our way through the last little bit then, because we got to kind of. Well, it's, to the it's bit not there. a little bit. It's half the movie, but yeah, okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> all right. So it starts off with that stupid virtual reality simulation of Attack on MI6, which I would say is a cool action scene. Mm-hmm. But it serves zero narrative point other than to set up the awful money penny scene later, which completely destroys her character from the last three movies. Yes, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh boy! But it serves no narrative purpose other than that. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yep. You can take both of those scenes. I guess they needed to give Money Penny something funny to do in this movie. But how I far? We, how far we have fallen from the cigar bit in the? Yeah, and why Samantha one. Bond agreed to do it? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's ah terrible, terrible. Um, and then we get John Cleese, my least favorite quartermaster, as you know. I love John Cleese, but yeah, he just never seemed right in this role. Um, and we get all the on-the-nose, oh, look at all the props from the old movies. Mm. There's props from From Russia With Love, Thunderball, Octopussy. I, there's just, yeah, it's just picking up stuff. Look, this is an anniversary movie. Look, we've got this thing. We've got that <laughs> thing. Be, up until this point, they've been pretty subtle about it. Yeah. Now they start slapping your face with them. And now they're, they're literally slapping you across the face with it. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, and they even made this, the, the crack about the, his, this being his 20th watch. It's like, yes, we get it. It's the 20th movie. It's an anniversary. We're with it. Okay. <laughs> 20th watch. That's good. Okay. Um, yeah, not good. As <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, this is the point I do. Um, oh, and I then if it, it gets even worse with the Aston Martin vanish. I don't have a problem with it. It just every every Brosnan movie, pretty much, it seems like they they do something different with his car. I have no problem with them doing things different. I have no problem with gadgets. This is so stupid. <laughs> Not just the fact that, you know, the whole, I mean, the whole idea of the, the, the cameras, you know, taking what they see on one side and projecting it to the other. I know that's been done. The, I know the U.S. Air Force have done it with planes. Uh, Top Gear did it with a van. Um, <laughs> so, you know, theoretically it works. But the thing is, we'll talk a bit more about it when it gets to Iceland. But it just does not work as a practical gadget, spy gadget. It's yeah. It, even when he uses it in the field, it's absurd because um, yeah. it just does not make sense. 
Um, and then the fact that they have Cleese quoting Desmond Llewellyn's I Never Joke About My Work line just right. makes me cringe. Uh, it, it's another, it, this car is another one of those moments, right? We've talked about two already where somebody said, wouldn't it be a great idea if, and you needed somebody in the room to say no. Yeah. And uh, also to say, don't put that line in there because the way that Cleese delivers yeah. it is completely flat. So It is. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the bit where we pan back up to M's office um, and we reveal it gets revealed that uh, Miranda Frost Graves's PR agent is an M- MI6 agent, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I sort of like the uh, the little bit of exposition when M says, what do you think about Bond? And, you know, it's like he's a blunt instrument. He will. And, and she uses a lot of um, fr- Fleming phrases in that little speech she gives. So that's, that's pretty cool in the way she describes Bond. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um and then we, we transfer to, to Iceland, um, where it gets even worse. Um, so most of the main cast never went to Iceland. Interesting. So it, hence we get an excessive use of back projection on CGI here. Um, tell, so, me, tell me when we get to the scene where they use the key card to open the door into the ice castle. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I did not notice that until you put it on Twitter. Oh, it kept <laughs> jumping out at me, and I thought, i got to film this. And, and so I got my phone out and, fi- and rewound it and filmed it. If, yeah, it. I had never noticed that until you, until you put it on, and now I'm going to see it every damn time. You can't, so. Yeah, it's, you can't unsee it now. It's, if you, for those that don't know what we're talking about, there's a moment where some of the bad guys go up to the door to the ice castle thing, <laughs> And the guy pulls out the key card, and he reaches down, and the door starts to open, and then he swipes the card. And you, it happens kind of bang, bang. So if you're not really paying attention, you don't really notice it. But I just had my eyes on his hand, on the card, and I saw the door start to open before. And so I went back and filmed it. And if you watch it, you don't even have to have it in slow motion. If you just watch it one or two times... Yeah, he it. I, they just they the guys opening the door just didn't wait for the command to now. You know they must have just yeah. gone ahead and done. <laughs> and how did they not fix that? Oh come on! How how did George Lucas not fix the, the stormtrooper banging his head on the door? <laughs> that's, I mean. that's fair enough. Okay, sometimes you okay. just don't catch it. Yeah. Um. All right. So we arrive in Iceland. We get the terrible ice palace CGI model. Um, though the interior the interior was an actual practical set, but the mm. the. I, the uh, exterior was a model and um, part model, part CGI. Um, nowhere near Derek Medding's level of stuff. It was really horrible. Um, interestingly enough, Iceland is not cold enough to support an ice structure, so you can't build an ice hotel there. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and we get really obvious back projection of Bond when he's driving the car. Um, almost dot to no levels of, hmm. you know, sitting there pulling on the steering wheel. Um, horrible. Um, so... We get um, the pu- pulling up. Um, we introduce the, the henchman. I'm Mr. Kill. Really? Mr. Kill. <laughs> That's the best you could do with a henchman's name. <laughs> this made me laugh. I don't know. <laughs> and, and the thing is, that's the first thing that you say to a guest getting out. You don't know he's the bad. You know, you don't know Bond's your, your nemesis. As far as you know, he's just a guy that has been invited to stay at the hotel, and that's the first thing you say to a guest when he gets out of the car. Hello, my name is Mister Kill. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be killing you later. <laughs> I'll be killing you later. Yeah. Oh, um, and then, of course, the ice drags drags that just happens to pull up. So we've had sort of three bit and bits of blatant foreshadowing in like the first fifteen seconds of this scene. Yeah. Yeah. They're. Re- I mean, they are laying it on with a trowel. Um, so. <laughs> 
You, you can tell how much I love this part of the movie. Oh, no. we'll get th- we'll power through it. It's okay. We haven't even gotten yeah. to the giant laser satellite yet. No, 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 no. Yeah. So then we get Bond and Jinx's reunion. Um, yeah. Um, and I've got a note here actually that it's a mediocre performance, not Catwoman bad, but we know we can do a lot better than we get here. So <laughs> kind of in the middle there. Yeah. Um, and of course, then she says something about not being a girl who doesn't like to get tied down. So you know damn well what's going to happen within the next few scenes. There's <laughs> a little foreshadowing there, yeah. Le- yeah, that's my foreshadow number four. Um, I was still get- with the movie at this point. I got to be honest. There's a point it starts to lose me, but we haven't gotten there yet. All right. So then we get Zaz's arrival at Graves' headquarters and we get the reveal that he is, in fact, um, Colonel Moon. Colonel Moon. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um,. And then we get the Icarus satellite, which is obviously the Diamonds of Forever callback with slightly better mm-hmm. budget, slightly more budget. Um, and yet the one in Diamonds of Forever is so much cooler. It's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get my first invisible car thing. So now we get Bond sneaking into Graves' compound mm-hmm. in an invisible car. Okay. That makes an engine noise. <laughs> and leaves tire tracks in the snow. Oh, well. Why is the car invisible? Because you can damn well... <laughs> <laughs> just at that point yeah what's the point if, if you're if you're a henchman and like what's that noise you look over and see something le- leaving leave tire tracks. Tra- tracks coming from where the noise is <laughs> i think even the even the dumbest henchman can work out that's probably a car I, or a vehicle at some point one out of every four henchmen would be like ghost car and run away cry <laughs> yeah all right so then we get to uh, kill using his handprint to open the security door foreshadow number five mm-hmm um, I'm trying to fix the electric gauntlet for Shadow Number Six. Mm. By the way, we're not really advancing the plot at this moment. We're just basically putting stuff in for later. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and then Bond gets out of his invisible car and starts sneaking around outside and finds a nice big hand pressure relief valve sign with a big explanatory warning sign next to it, telling him basically undo this to blow up. <laughs> yeah. Turn this off to blow up this pipeline. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, the one thing I do like here is is basically when he's he realizes he's sort of been discovered and he's trying to get away. Miranda Frost does the rescue. Um, it's a bit too much like a rescue Tracy rescue. I, you know, where she grabs him and pulls him and kisses him to sort of throw off the followers. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, it sort of works. And then we get the the death for breakfast line that um, mm-hmm. that she uses. That's actually a chapter title out of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I thought um, I'd seen that somewhere. I mean, when she said it, I thought, that seems familiar to me. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, and then we, in the meantime, and by the way, you, you see I'm going through my notes pretty quickly here because I didn't. <laughs> um, so we, then we get Jinx mm-hmm. breaking into Graves' dome HQ, mm-hmm. um, which again was a way, it looks like a Wei Lin type thing. I mean, it's a exactly. similar outfit as Wei Lin using. It's exactly. the wire. That's what I was saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get Bond and Frost in Bond's room um, and a, a fairly lingering shot on Bond putting the gun under the pillow. Tomorrow Never Dies reference, maybe? Yeah, could be. Um, also setting up the fact that she can then remove the, the bullets for later on. But And we get Jinx gets captured and gets, surprise, surprise, tied down. We got the slow-mo frames with Zao moving around the, the laser table. It's really weird where it, it goes slow. This is a Tama... Uh, uh, Lee Tamahora thing where he mm. slows down the action then speeds it up and slows it down and speeds it up really starts to be noticeable here yeah it's yeah like you said I mean they they start doing this signature stuff that detracts from it being a Bond movie so it can be that whatever that is yeah yeah 
Um, and of course, we get the laser table torture uh, Goldfinger mm-hmm. reference. Yeah, that was pretty. Um, nice. And one of the thing I didn't get: the mine is fake, but the lasers are real. Why would a fake mine that wasn't carving up diamonds have lasers that work? I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, you know, maybe, maybe it's part of the, the cover, but I don't know. Just mm-hmm. uh, you know, why would they have multi-point, multi-plane lasers? I don't know, other than to set up something. So, so then we Bond sneaks out of the room and choke to break into Gravestone, and he decides to do that by basically cutting a hole in the ice. Why would Bond choose to cut a hole in the ice, jump in it with the Thunderball re- rebreather, just wearing a jacket and trousers, no protective gear? That that water must be absolutely freezing. Really I mean, freezing. wouldn't he like... Yeah. And somehow he can swim from that freezing water under the ice into the hot spring in the biodome. <laughs> Don't ask uh, why. Just go with it. <laughs> I yeah, I'm not just going with it with this movie. <laughs> All right. So then we get the stupid fight amongst the dancing laser beams. Um, oh, and yeah, actually, actually, you were talking about the, the, the door thing. What I did notice here is actually the laser beams stay on for a couple of beats after Bond hits the off switch. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't notice that, but that fits. Yeah. So, um, so one thing I did like here about Mr. Kill, uh, irrespective of his stupid name, was the fact that he <laughs> used his comb, uh, his hair comb as a weapon. Okay, I I don't remember. I, this is I think this is when I just start checking out this movie. Right. Yeah. So, um, but that's the one thing that maybe they should have foreshadowed earlier on. If it was his regular mo that his hair, the, the comb that he kept in his braided hair was was a weapon, that's what they should have foreshadowed. Mm. Not all the other crap. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. I, now, from from here until um, they're on the airplane, I just I'm just like I don't really remember any of it. So. Okay, well, oh, oh, so you you slept through the worst bits. Okay, that maybe that's uh, why I don't I don't hate it as much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then we get uh, Bond confronts Graves slash Moon. He knows who he is. Um, uses the line, "So you live to die another day." It yep. sort of works actually this time. It's, it's yeah, not quite as bad as it did. Yeah, um, and we get Mar- Miranda Frost revealed as the double agent, and then. Back at the Ice Palace, we get Jinx walking into the room looking for Frost, and the door shut behind her, locking her in. Who operated those doors? How was it programmed to shut behind Jinx and nobody else and lock her in? How did they know which room she was going to go look in? Ah, too many questions. <laughs> um, we, we should be in the writer's room for these things. I'm telling you. And then we Bond escapes from the dome, gets in the ice dragster. Jake Graves uses the Icarus weapon to pursue him. Completely stupid. Uh, Bond goes through a grove of trees at one point that catches fire, and then when it opens up on the wider shot, there's no trees. Um, and then we get the worst CGI thing of the dragster going over the edge of the cliff and Bond using the shield of the parachute to surf away. Um, it's not a practical stunt. It's completely G- CGI and was put in there because Lee Tamahori wanted it in there. It makes no narrative sense. It's not a practical effect. It doesn't look good. It's really poor CGI and is probably one of the low points of the movie. And it was done basically to please the director. Horrible. Not surprising, though, but yeah. So Bond uses the miraculous parachute to actually float up and back onto the up the cliff face. So he basically uses a parachute to fly up the cliff face, which is pretty clever. Um, and then knocks a guy off a snowmobile. Well, actually, he uses he uses the uh, he uses the parachute, doesn't he? He he takes the parachute and he uses it uh, like stretches it out across a gap between 
two rocks or two pieces of snow and then knocks the guy off the snowmobile when he comes riding through the gap. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. Which which is pretty cool, other than the fact that how did he know a guy was going to come through there on a snowmobile or whatever. <laughs> but guess what? My first Ian Fleming found out of this movie. Oh, finally. We've been waiting with bated breath. Okay, what is I it? I know. I know you have. We have that snowmobile. I have sat <laughs> on that snowmobile. I have put my ass where Piers Brosnan put his ass <laughs> on that snowmobile. Fantastic. All right. So I think this is where we get your door moment because then Frost and Zhao go back into the arc. Yeah. And I think that's where they're doing the, the bit with the door that you caught. Mm-hmm. Because they basically stand there and gloat in front of her before relocking the door. Again, why didn't they just shoot her? <laughs> anyway, okay. Because it's a Bond movie. All right. Pretty much. So then we get Graves and crew leaving the Ice Palace. Uh, what happened to all the other guests? Did they get them all to basically check out in about the space of about in the short time between Bond sneaking into the dark and all this stuff happening? It sure seems like it. Or they all got teleported yeah. up to the space that, station or something. Yeah, or something. Okay. Um, and then we would get another another really bad CGI of the Antonov airplane, the A, before flying in. Um, I don't think the ice could take the weight of that aircraft. It's the largest commercial cargo jet, uh, cargo plane in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, this thing's a monster. Bond gets back into his invisible car. How did he know where he'd left it? If it's an invisible mode, how did he find the door handle? If it's an invisible mode, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if he's left the car turned off, what's powering the cameras to make it invisible? Oh no! I guess it's got a heck of a battery. I don't know. All, all right, I'll, I'll shut up about the invisible car <laughs> for the moment. All right. I honestly don't have that big of a problem with invisible car, but then I like Moonraker too, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and then we actually get the car chase, which is actually pretty well designed. Looks pretty cool inside. The interior one? No, no. Well, we get to that. We have the one on the ice with them okay. sk- skating around on the ice, right, and, uh, right. and the two cars chasing each other—the the Jaguar and the, yeah. the Aston Martin. Um, the thing is, because the in real life, because the ice was so thin and that they could not do more than twenty miles an hour. <laughs> so it's actually a twenty mile an hour car chase with again the footage speeded up to make it look like they were actually in a fast car chase so again you get some of the slow motion speed up slow motion speed up ramped up uh, film speed yeah it doesn't it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff back in the sean connery day yeah i don't think it's quite that good but right. i think it's pretty well designed but yeah but then we get the thing where the aston martin ends up on his roof and he uses the injector seat to blow it back onto his wheels yeah, um good. that would need such an incredibly powerful explosive charge to push a car of that weight it would blow up the car. <laughs> to flip back on its wheels, it would blow up the car. And why does Zhao suddenly have a equally gadget-laden car? Where's the rationale for the fact that he happened to turn up in a Jaguar that had all that stuff on it? I was kind of halfway wondering that, but I never fully formulated the question. But yeah, it's true. It's You just kind of assume, okay, I guess he's got one too. But okay. Right. And so have we. <laughs> Here we go. There's, there was eight of those Jaguars. Uh, we have one. Jaguar have one. There's one at the um, National Motor Museum in Bewley of the ones that survived. Mm. Um, we have the one with the um, used inside with the battering, um, the spikes that come out the front. We have that one with the nice. spikes on it. But it still has the it has like the the dummy machine gun on the back and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Nice green. Um, yeah, Jill loves driving that when we're up at the IFF thing, she keeps wanting to take it home with her so she can use it on her morning commute, um, which would be pretty cool. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. so then, so yeah, they start to use the Icarus to melt the ice palace. 
Seems a bit expensive. Why not just put some C4 in there and blow it up? <laughs> well, he's got this thing. He wants to use it now. Come on. I know. Yeah, he's got to get a return on his investment, I guess. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we get the final showdown inside the Ice Palace. We get the car in, um, inside with Zhao's Jaguar with the battering rams out front. Um, so Zhao gets killed by a falling ice chandelier, which sort of is in line with his MO. So that sort of works. Um, it, I don't know. It seemed a bit flat, a bit. I don't know. I'm not quite finding the right word, but I don't know. It didn't really. My yeah. first thing was it didn't really seem a fitting death for him. And then when I thought about it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's an, it, he gets killed by a falling chandelier. Okay, ha ha, I get it. Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a little anticlimactic, but yeah, I get it. Thank you, anticlimactic. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Good. So Bond uh, rescues the half drowned Jinx and rushes her to the hot spring, which is suddenly outside the biodome. <laughs> and then we switch back to Korea. So you can wake up now. <laughs> Well, I know they're on a plane at some point and fighting and people get killed. Right, yeah. So M basically chastises the Americans for not letting MI6 know that Frost and Moon were on the Harvard fencing team together, um, which is stupid because, to my mind, shouldn't MI6's screening process have picked that up? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, anyway, so we get uh, Bond and Jinx on the plane um, where they use the switchblade drop gliders um, to glide down from the... um, American Air Force plane. Guess what? Oh, no. We have one of the Switchblade drop gliders. Oh. You've got, like, all kinds of things from this movie. I'm shocked. Uh, But we haven't... I I haven't tried that, and I will not be trying it. Um, (laughs) It doesn't actually work. It was actually... It was designed and was an experimental thing, and we got it from the guys who invented it. But for the movie, it was sort of green screen stuff. Then we get the old cliche of them getting on board a plane by climbing up through the landing gear bay doesn't work i'm gonna say that that always struck me as i don't know you could actually do that but no you can't do that there's okay well let's put it this way none of the planes i ever worked on had (laughs) to me the carbon bay looks actually a little bit small for that airplane um because i say it's like one of the world's biggest airplanes but anyway it's just me being a geek on board the plane while they're clearing the mines and the dmc with icarus and then he kills his dad so yeah yeah that's you know uh, that's sort of a bittersweet moment. I think it sort of works. I think yeah, um, no Toby Stevens plays it well. And then we get uh, Jinx infiltrates the cockpit, takes over the controls. Oh, by the way, the whole big plane thing, again, was a Lee Tamahori idea. That was not in the original script. The whole thing of Graves' control center being on a plane overflying the DMZ oh, okay. was a Lee Tamahori thing. It wasn't in the original script. Jinx gets into the cockpit. Meanwhile, Bond is, if I remember rightly confronts goes wild and it goes out the window we, de- we get a window de- decompression so we get the whole goldfinger thing again and then while they're fighting amanda frost finds jinx in the cockpit forces her to put the plane on autopilot but she sets it to fly towards the icarus beam and then we end up with sort of the dual fights we end up bond and graves fighting on the observation deck and frost and jinx having a sword fight in frost's training and- stuff upstairs and this i didn't have a problem with i thought that was actually good i like the idea that they have the guy against the guy and the girl against the girl in two yeah i did i mean yeah i mean the fact they were doing it on the plane while it was flying around you know was breaking up uh really bad cgi model with really bad breakup didn't Mm -hmm. didn't didn't work but i actually like the boat both the fights work well Mm -hmm. Um, i actually preferred the the frost jinx one the sword fight there i thought Mm -hmm. that was good it was was a good counterpoint to the 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 testosterone fueled Yes. Sword fight at the be- at the beginning of the movie. That's right. Um, yeah, um, but one thing in this, Jinx gets slashed across the stomach mm-hmm. in this fight. So just keep that in mind because mm. they make a point of it. She puts her hand down and she's got blood on her hand, and then That's right. you know she stabs stabs Frost in the chest with the dagger um, embedded in the art of war. Duh, yeah. you know, book, yeah, yeah, unsubtle, yeah. <laughs> 
And then we get Bond and Graves, and then Bond activates Graves' parachute, which sucks him out uh, into the engine. And then we get the plane starting to disintegrate and, and crash. Again, to me, this was all CGI. This was Bond. It should have been practical effects and model work, not CGI. And then we get the, the, the cars and the CGI helicopter dropping out the back. Ugh. And then it goes to back to MI6, and we get Money Penny's stupid VR. Yeah. Which, to my mind, undermines everything about Samantha Bond's strong-willed money penny that's been established to date. It Completely has. ruins the character. Yeah, yeah, because she's not then the one that's pining after him so much. She's this is almost like flashing back to the older Money Penny, which yeah. is nothing wrong with her, but it was just a different portrayal for a different right. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, the the, the Money Penny that's been in the last three movies would not do this. Right. Yeah, it's another one of those homages to the old stuff in a way. It is, but it's really bad. Well, yeah, because it doesn't come across that way. You have to stop and think and go, oh, I guess this is another one of those remember back when we used to do this. But it yeah. comes across as part of the movie, and you're like, well, but that's how, yeah, it's just. And like yeah. you say, you know, it, it just completely undermines a, uh, undermines a good, strong female character there. So. It's almost more like you needed her to have an assistant who's doing it, and then Money Penny catches her, and she says, yeah. well, "You could have Bond on here," and she'd be like, "That's okay," you know, and just walk away or something. That would work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get the end sequence with Bond and Jinx in the uh, in the temple, which apparently got into really into trouble with basically filming a sex scene with a that close to a um, <laughs> statue of Buddha. It actually stopped the movie being. Um, Distributed in several Asian countries because of that. Mm. And the thing is, with where did Jinx's belly wound go? Yeah, because we get the close the close up of him putting the the um, diamonds in her navel. She had a slashed belly <laughs> when they were falling from the aeroplane, and suddenly it's not only healed but it's disappeared. I gotta say, Alan, I have a slashed belly from about five weeks ago. And yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, it looks yeah. very vis- very visible. Visible. <laughs> it, yeah, it hasn't disappeared. Even if you I don't, pour diamonds you, you, in it, I say you don't like lie around in a in a skimpy white chiffon outfit putting diamonds in, diamonds in, in, in it. No, maybe that's that, maybe that, that's what that I'm doing wrong. Mental, that was a mental picture I did not need. <laughs> well, I, that's what I'm doing wrong. I should have been doing that all this time. Well, maybe you should have done it. Would have healed it exactly. Quicker, yeah. That's we've learned something tonight. That's yeah. good. See, it's, we've learned good stuff. Uh, and uh, just to the point where you think, thank God that movie's over, they end it with a funky <laughs> techno beat version of the Madonna thing. Oh, yay. I, you know, it's funny because I just noticed, I just noticed a thing that said that, it said that in a more, I don't know what Maury is, in a Maury poll of the Channel 4 program, James Bond's Greatest Hits, the song was voted ninth out of 22, but it came in as an overwhelming number one favorite among those under the age of 24. Really? Ah, yeah. uh, jeez, what's wrong with the kids today, man? Kids, yeah. Ugh. All right. Um, so apparently there was a spin-off planned for Jinx. Oh, um, they'd even written a, uh, they'd written a script. They had a director hired, um, but uh, apparently uh, the low box office performances of uh, Charlie's Angels and Laura mm. T- Laura Croft, yeah, um, dissuaded them, and they pulled a pulled a plug on the project thank goodness out of all the bond helpers that could have gotten a spinoff she is not one i would have on my list no no so that's geez okay so i think that pretty much ends my notes on die another day um so yeah i mean like i say first half of the movie it's it's got a few eh, moments but generally i really enjoy the first half of the movie Mm -hmm. other than maybe the Mm -hmm. the the halle berry uh performance and dialogue but uh plot wise and stuff i think it works pretty well up until bond 
takes goes down those stairs to the underground abandoned underground station um, um from that point on i'm done <laughs> there's just too many problems with this movie from that point on well we can't let it go without acknowledging that this is the fourth and last of the pierce brosnan movies this was a period right. this period i was really looking forward to getting to and doing and i'm so glad we got to and I, we we see him right off into the sunset here with with Jinx, which is an unfortunate way for him to go. But we've got you know we've got four movies, three and a half if you'd rather, uh, of him as Bond, and that's they can't take that away. You know that's on no, and they're, film. they're good movies, and, and you know you have to think about it. it. It's probably in line with the fact that you know pretty much everybody's last movie is is a bad one. Yeah, uh, other than other than Timmy's. Um, but you know, um, Connery goes out with Diamonds Are Forever. Not exactly a shining mm, moment. No. Uh, you know, George just did the one. Um, you know, Rogers View to a Kill. Oh, um, shoot me now. Appears with this, so mm-hmm. you know that doesn't bode well for Bond Twenty Five. <laughs> it doesn't. But we knew that already. <laughs> they've they've at least had taken the time to write something, hopefully, and have a better script than last time. But yeah. But I want to say the thing that always makes me sad. Not only that we only got four of the Pierce movies, but that's, I guess if you're a Dalton fan, you can be jealous because he got twice as many. Yeah. Uh, I would love for Timmy, Timmy but, movies. But so. then again, Dalton didn't get a die another day. So there's a two edge, right. two edge yep. of that. But, yep. um, but what always makes me sad is that Pierce was fully expecting to do a fifth one. in I guess 2004, and yeah, he was. Yeah. He was sitting around waiting for the phone to ring, and they called him. And Barbara said, uh, "Yeah, we're not going to be needing you anymore." And he was sad. Yeah, um, it, like I said, it, you know, it was my understanding that he, he was one of the ones that he was pushing to, you know, um, do a version of Casino Royale, not mm-hmm. so um, as his next movie. Um, and I think he would have been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. So That's too bad. Yeah, too bad. But I, um, you know, I think with Pierce, he's he's one of the ones where um, I think we mentioned this before. He sort of embraced the fact that he was Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still, you know, happy to talk about it, happy to make reference to it. I mean, on his Instagram account, he you know occasionally puts some Bond related stuff in as well as the other stuff. I mean, he, you know, I think he's he was clearly having a ball doing it at the time, and I think he's you know. Um, Really, em- I think he, like Roger, really embraced the fact that they were James Bond. Yeah, and it and means a lot to a lot of people. It. They were and are very about positive it. about it. Yeah, Daniel Craig makes you not want to ever watch another Bond movie because he spends all the time between making them talking about how he hates them and never wants to do it again. And then he makes it very clear that the only reason he's doing it is because they're giving him ungodly money. I mean, you get the yeah. sense when he makes his last Bond movie, he may never mention the word Bond again the rest of his life. Right, right. It just um, kind of takes a little of the joy out of it. I think it takes quite a bit of the joy out of it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, Brosnan embraces it and celebrates it, and that's awesome. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And you know who um, else would be like that? Aiden Turner. <laughs> you hope. I hope. So, Just putting that out there. Yeah. I'm watching the final season of Poldark currently. I'm I'm like two episodes in, and Ross is up to his old tricks. So, uh, getting himself and his family in trouble. So we'll see. Yeah. Are you so, a Poldark uh, watcher? Uh, okay. I'm gonna. Yes, I did, but I loved the original so much. Oh, okay. Uh, I knew there was another could, version. Uh, yeah, the that uh, this version. I tried. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but it, it, too many good memories of the the original that I mm. basically just I found myself mentally comparing the two, and it's like, right. no, I got to stop stop watching it because I'm just going to keep doing that. Gotcha. So. That makes sense. You know, same with things like House of Cards and a lot of the other mm. sort of modern remakes of classic British shows. It's like 
ones I grew up watching, it's like, yeah, I leave them be. So, gotcha. uh, um, yeah. So, uh, well, um, so I, I was just having a look. So, dying of the day. Um, I'm just looking at when Brosnan officially left. So it says October 20, 2004, Brosnan said he considered himself dismissed from the role. Um, mm. uh, and then posted, it was officially posted in February 20, 2005. So, um, which was just before Craig took over. And so, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would have been, would have been good. Would have been good. I would have liked to have seen his Casino Royale for sure. I think it would have been very interesting. It would have been very different. And I don't know yeah. that he could have done the same. It wouldn't have been the same movie. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. I still, I just, I still would have liked to have seen so. Yeah, I will say I was actually on um, a BBC radio, uh, not a BBC, uh, British radio uh, show recently interviewed us about the whole should a woman play James Bond thing. Mm. Um, and when I was doing that, I, you know, I said, you know, I, obviously they're talking about, uh, you know, the character in the, in the new movie being, you know, having the 007 number. Right. Um, a uh, female agent having a 007 number, and I got no problem with that. And I, I actually said, you know, I'd, for me, I'd love to see, see a movie with Brosnan playing a retired Bond, mentoring somebody else, a fem- and it could be a female agent with who you know has the 007 number, and sure, you know, being that. And I think he could do that now, the way he is. He still looks cool. He's still fit. He still has that charisma. Um, he looks damn awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I will say that you know. He is still a handsome man. Um, he's, you know, one of the. Hey, if 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 the, I, the, you know the the few actors that makes me think. Eh, I'm saying if I tended <laughs> that, I, if I tended in that direction, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. If I tend that direction, I, I'd I'd be I'd marry that man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I can't I'm, say that about I'm, very many guys. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be on the line, and there's a reason that my tuxedo is a Pierce Brosnan cap. So yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> That's right, but yeah, no, I, I, have, I have, there's, there's, there's only a handful of actors that I really think a lot of, just as actors, and and think that would be a cool dude to hang out with, just as a cool guy, and he's he's right up there. I just love Pierce. I love that he got to be James Bond for a while. I wish he could have done more on either side, uh, on either end of the of the deal, you know, like earlier than yeah. the, in the '90s and later. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm grateful that we got him for four because it could have been fewer, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and he's definitely. I mean. I- you know, he he was hanging around in Austin for quite a few years filming um, his recent series, his recent Western series, which mm-hmm. was filmed just outside Austin. He was in yeah. town a lot, and uh, unfortunately, ne- never managed to be in the same place at the same time. Because <laughs> yeah, def- definitely a guy I'd like to hang out with and eat tacos with. I'll tell you. Yeah, so, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, die another day. Any final thoughts about die another day? No, it's not a movie I like to think about too much. <laughs> I I think I'll sum it up for me by just saying. Again, I I watched it a couple of times over the years and thought, eh, you know, it has its issues, it has its good parts, its bad parts. And then I went several years without watching it, and I heard the various other reviewers and friends and people talking about it, and almost this universal condemnation that's the worst thing ever. It makes a view to a kill look like spy, you know, from Russia with love or something. And I just kept thinking, wow, it must be so much worse than I remembered. And I started watching it. And I go through all the North Korea part, the opening sequence and all that. I get into the beginning and it's the Hong Kong stuff. And I'm like, these people are crazy. This is a great Bond movie. And like you say, yeah, it reaches that point where all of a sudden it's like the super soft tires on the Formula One car. All of a sudden they just go over (laughs) the cliff. They just go over the cliff and it can't stay on the road anymore. And it slams into the swimming pool outside uh, on Monaco or something. But um. 
But yeah, it uh, it for 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 the parts that work though, it really does work. It's too bad the whole movie didn't stand up that way. But if you want, if you know, if you haven't watched it in forever, just because of the reputation that it has, at least rewatch that first part, the beginning half, and enjoy what there is of it. Because like, I think Gustav Graves is a great villain. I think Miranda Frost is a great Bond girl villain. Uh, I think the North Korean stuff is fantastic. I think that the Hong Kong stuff is so cool. Even some of the Cuba stuff is cool. So the stuff that works really, it's, it's, I put it this way. It, to me, it's very much like Quantum of Solace. The stuff that works is awesome. The stuff that doesn't work is bad. So somewhere in the middle there is what this movie actually is. So there you go. In this movie. But um, lost me again. You're there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, yeah, uh, for me, Quantum of Solace is way better than this movie. Um, oh, we'll, wow. We'll get, we'll get to that in a couple. Um, but you're right. I, 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 I actually think part of the problem with this movie, and one of the reasons that it really gets to me, um, obviously not as much as a couple of others, but it gets to me, is um, it's a wasted opportunity. There were seeds of a really good Bond movie in here, and That's that true. shows in the first half. That's true. Uh, and they just squandered it by stupid... Pandering to the director, stupid anniversary stuff, bad CGI, horrible dialogue, yeah, uh, and some really weird plot storytelling decisions. Yeah, I, th- I think the more you know about it, like you're saying, the worse it gets, right? In other words, if you don't know all this stuff and you just watch it, you think, oh, there was some good stuff, there was some bad stuff, whatever. But the more you know about what it could have been and why it was what it was, the more you kind of get mad. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it it, it makes it, it makes me mad for what it could have been. Yeah, not for what it is. If that makes sense, it does. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for Die Another Day and for the Pierce Brosnan era. It's going to be time for me after this one to go and change our little graphic to now the last one, Daniel Craig, which is going to be with us for a little while. And so, Alan, you will join me in a month's time or thereabouts for Casino Royale. Wow, we've got quite the movie coming up. I mean... We do. I am looking forward to rewatching that one. Not Um, our favorite Bond guy, but certainly a movie that we're going to have a lot to say about, I think. Yes, definitely. Yes. A lot to say about. All right. On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return and we will see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.